episode 50, that's 5-0, Sunday, October 15th, 2012. Welcome to the XJ Talk Show, and now here's your host, Tony Mutteroy on XJTalk.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to uh, XJ Talk Show. And as you, I'm sure you know by now, but on the outside chance you don't, <laughs> we're here because of the website, XJTalk.com, where we talk about Jeeps and things. Things could be anything under the sun, really. You know, it's a forum. We like talking about things. On this week's show, we're going to have Josh in W99XJ and his uh, electrical and audio tip talking about headlights. And then we're going to have an interview with Dino, uh, also known as Cheromaniac, on uh, the website, xjtalk.com. And... uh, (laughs) You're going to listen to me complain about my engine. Actually, I'm not going to be complaining too much about it today. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, which of, of course it is, need to stick around and uh, enjoy. received a uh, PM from Steve 4.3 LXJ today, and uh, it was uh, a message he was forwarding on to me um, that he received from one of our new members. And uh, it's a, it is a private message, I know, but I'm going to go ahead and, and share it because I think it's, it's very important that uh, our new members know this if they don't uh, kind of pick up on it initially, or perhaps you're not even a member yet. Maybe you're uh, not thinking that, uh, not, not thinking of joining xjtalk.com because it's a forum and we all know how bad forums can be. So, um, I think that, uh, if I just, uh, don't say the name of this individual, the, the, the name that they go by on the site, then it will be perfectly fine. I think it's a wonderful message. And frankly, I, I wish people would call in, uh, little things like this on our, uh, um, toll free, uh, it's not toll-free, is it? No. <laughs> That's what they always say on the radio. Call our toll-free number. But uh, call our uh, 530 number that you can uh, see there on the website. Anyway, this is a, a message that this individual sent Steve. Hi, Steve. I just wanted to pass along a personal thank you for not only helping me with decisions on my build, but also for the hard work you do on the site. And then there's a little thank you with a little spinning smiley. And uh, he continues... Haven't belonged that long, but all involved with the site have been very helpful and very supportive. This site kicks serious butt, man. 
all types of folks from all over the world sharing the same passion is an amazing phenomenon. And then it says thanks again, and it's signed by the individual. You know, this just amazes me because we try to be very subtle uh, in our rules on the site. Um, Nobody really likes to be told what to do. And uh, being kind of that way myself, (laughs) I have specifically not gone overboard to point out rules to people. And when we do have a situation where somebody is not courteous uh, or just gives people the opportunity to ask questions, we kind of let them know off to the side, uh, behind the scenes, so to speak. And it is wonderful to me that that has happened so infrequently because you guys get it. You guys understand that we're a friendly site. We're here to help, and we're help. We we are here to help each other. It's not just, you know, uh, the admins and the moderators. It's all of us all together helping out, and and that's wonderful. And this new member gets it, and he's gotten it really really quickly. I don't think he's been on more than a couple of weeks. So, and and this is not the only person that has made comments like this. If you're on the on the site, you've probably read other posts recently about how friendly the site is, how easy it is to ask questions, and how much they appreciate it. So, guys, that's all to you because you're the ones that make it easy to uh, administer the site, and you're the ones that that don't cause a lot of uh, hate and havoc. So hats off to you guys. Great job. Thank you very much for getting it and going along with the program. I think we all like you know, we all like that, being able to ask questions and, and uh, get along with everybody as much as we can. There's some that we can't, but hopefully you'll just uh, ignore those, those folks and uh, they'll either uh, change how they uh, act or they'll go away. But hopefully everybody will stay and everybody will uh, pitch in like we've been having uh, such a great success with here for such a long time. Okay, now over to the 4.0 rebuild. If this is your the first show you've listened to, um, you need to go back and listen to all the bitch sessions I've had prior. <laughs> a very good friend of mine and a fellow admin on xjtalk.com uh, built a, uh, a 4.0 engine for me. And the idea was is that we were going to have as much of it together as possible so that it would just be a, a one-day in and out. And that one day in and out did work, but we had uh, a series of issues uh, that we thought was timing that turned out to be an O2 sensor. I'm sorry, not an O2 sensor, a, a, a CPS sensor. I just said sensor twice, CPS sensor. Anyway, uh, and then um, we had a, a running hot problem and uh, we had a no power problem. So Matt kept it uh, for a week or two. I think it maybe it was just a week. And uh, didn't feel comfortable uh, having me go up there and get it and bring it, drive it down because of the running hot problem. So he actually towed it to my house. And uh, I was hoping that I would figure out what the issue was with the power. And, uh, well, we went back and forth talking a lot, me messing with it a lot. And uh, Matt actually came down, drove down, and we tested several things, including the uh, compression on all the cylinders, et cetera, et cetera. Everything seemed to check out. So I finally took it upon myself after we we really couldn't identify the issue um, and through partial testing that we did when when Matt was here 
I took it on my, upon myself just to change the catalytic converter and the muffler on the outside chance that it was uh, it was keeping the exhaust from coming out free-flowing or as free-flowing as it needed to be. And that solved uh, the majority of the problems. Through a little uh, tuning and adjustments on the distributor, because I have a, uh, a crane cam in there, um, I am, uh, I've gotten it back up to around 10.5 miles per gallon on the last tank. Uh, it is very peppy. The horsepower is there. It will uh, it goes all the way up to uh, 48 something, 100 RPM, uh, you know, when I stand on it. And uh, the break-in period is done. The oil has been changed. So about the only thing that's waiting on me net right now is to figure out why it's still running warm. And uh, I'm kind of throwing something at it to see if maybe I can't fix it. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure why it's running warm. I'm thinking it could be because the engine is still new and breaking in from the standpoint of the parts wearing uh, in and generating less heat. I don't know. But uh, it will get up to about 230 degrees momentarily. Uh, on occasion, and then it's dropping back down. It actually seems to be getting a little better, but we've had a couple of cold fronts come in, so uh, the uh, ambient air temperature is is lower than what it has been. So not quite sure, but I, uh, but getting back to what I was saying, I uh, purchased a three electrical fan and shroud setup from Dirt Bound Off Road, and uh, that will uh, ordered that Friday. Ordered the whole kit and caboodle. I've got the the automatic um, switch that turns the fans on and off depending on what the temperature is. Uh, one fan comes on immediately. I'm sorry, one fan comes on at 185 degrees, and the other two come on at 205 degrees. So I'm hoping that with the two-row all-aluminum 600-horsepower radiator and the the uh, three-fan uh, setup from Dirt Bound Off-Road uh, is going to be enough to keep the, the engine cool and keep it cool with the AC on, which I, I need to do some repairs to because it's currently it's leaking some uh, R132A kind of slowly. R132? 134? 134. It's lo- leaking it kind of slowly. So I have a set of hoses that I'm going to try replacing because I can't find the leak. Uh, I can't find it coming from the vents like it like it would be the evap. I can't find it coming from uh, any of the joints. The only place that I uh, I have any leakage is on the low side where the uh, serrator valve is, and uh, I'm told that that is normal, and that's why it has a secondary seal with that cap that you screw on there. So we'll see. I will I will find the problem. I guarantee you. Because this fat boy in South Texas is going to have AC. <laughs> so anyway, like I said uh, earlier in the, uh, the, the intro here, that we're going to have uh, Josh, Northwest 99XJ. He's going to do an electrical and audio tip. And then we're going to have our interview with Dino, the uh, stroker guy. Surely you've seen uh, the pages when you were dreaming about building a stroker because that's what I was looking at for a long time prior to rebuilding my engine, because that's what I wanted to do was build a stroker. But uh, it, uh, it just seemed it was a, little, a little difficult finding a, uh, a, a crank for it. And um, this crank 
this cleaned up so nice. So uh, I basically got a 4.1 liter engine in my uh, in my Jeep now with a a nice crane cam. Electrical and audio tips. In this episode of Electrical and Audio Tips, we're going to go over the headlights. And we're not talking about just, well, yeah, you can turn them on, you can turn them off. Woo! Well, no, we're going to go a little bit more in depth than that. And uh, in fact, most of us uh, who have ever, you know, bought a Cherokee, I noticed right off the bat, the headlights kind of suck. If you've ever driven at night uh, with a stock Jeep, you know that the headlights definitely leave a little something to be desired. And uh, we can take care of that. And there's a few ways that we're going to do that. And we're going to go over a few of your options here right now. The first and foremost is better bulbs. If you're still running the old GE style, uh, you know, factory uh, bulbs in there, the sealed headlamps, uh, chances are they might be due for replacement. Um, if, if they've been in there for quite a while, it might be due to go ahead and swap those out. Uh, Sylvania Silver Stars are one of the most popular ones to swap in if you're going to stick with the sealed beam style headlights. And, um, and they, they actually perform fairly well. Uh, it's definitely a good step up from the most of the ones that are out there. They are a little bit more expensive, but you definitely get what you pay for. Now, that's only you know going to be putting a band-aid over the overall issue. The biggest issue with um, the headlights in the Jeep Cherokee is voltage. Uh, it's not necessarily the bulbs. A good sealed beam headlight is fine if you're supplying enough voltage to it. And the Jeep Cherokees have a really poor wiring system when it comes to the wiring for the headlights. And we can take care of that. Um, oftentimes what you'll find, you hook up a digital multimeter, a digital voltmeter to the, the leads going to the headlights, you'll see that it's not even getting 12 volts. I've seen as low as 9.5 volts at a headlight harness. And, I mean, that's horrible, horrible, horrible. And you, you want to see that full, you know, basically what the alternator is putting out at your headlights. And that can be 13, 14 volts or more. And so y having that kind of voltage available to you at the headlights is going to give you a lot more light output. And it doesn't matter if you're running the, you know, the cheapest Walmart lights that you could find. You know, they're $2 a piece. Maybe you pulled them out of the junkyard. Even if you're slamming full voltage to lights like those, they're going to perform a lot better. More voltage, a good bulb, you're going to have a lot more light output. We'll get into other kinds of bulbs later on, but in order to get to that kind of voltage output, we're going to have to bypass all the crappy wiring that's in the Jeep Cherokee. And I'm not talking going in there with a set of cutters and just start trimming away. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. In fact, um, there's several harnesses, plug-and-play style harnesses on the aftermarket that you can get. One that I highly recommend, it's super easy, uh, it's reliable. I've been using mine for a couple few years, is the e Auto Works headlight harness, upgrade harness. Um, you can find them on eBay. You can find them at other um, online retailers and stuff. They're around $30, give or take, you know, depending on shipping and stuff like that. Uh, when I bought mine a couple years ago, I think to my door was about 36 bucks. Uh, and it was by far one of the best upgrades that I had done to my Cherokee at the time. A huge night and day difference. And what this harness does is it takes voltage straight from the battery and passes it through a couple of relays. Uh, and you need a relay for both regular headlights as well as brights. Um, in this case, I think they are double pole, uh, double throw relays. And we'll get into relays in another, another segment. But um, what these relays do is essentially just slam all that voltage straight through them right to the headlights. And you get all that good voltage going right to the headlights, and they just love it. And they'll light up like you've never seen them before. 
These little relays, they require very little voltage to activate. They're basically just a little microswitch, an electromagnetic microswitch. And they have a normally closed or normally open setting. And the, the voltage that is supplied from the existing uh, factory switch, you're going to be using all the existing uh, wiring, uh, plugs into this harness. The factory switch supplies the voltage for the relays, turns them on. They go ahead and pass that voltage straight from the battery, bypassing all the crappy wiring that's in the Jeep, going straight to the headlights, and the results are uh, instantaneous, and you can see for yourself. I highly recommend this harness. There are other manufacturers that make the same exact thing. They all do the same thing. They're basically all comprised of the same components. You're going to have a ground. You're going to have a power to the battery. You're going to have a plug that goes in. It's going to be uh, basically a plug and play from the existing headlight harness going into this harness, and then a harness, uh, you know, a couple pigtails that go out, one to each headlight. Now, there are wiring diagrams that you can find online to make your own harness. And uh, although, you know, I'm qualified to do that sort of thing, honestly, when I sat down and did the math and kind of, you know, added it all up, buying the relays, having the wire on hand, all the connectors and everything, it ended up being just about the same as far as cost and time and everything uh, to just buy one of the aftermarket ones like the eAutoWorks harness. These are super easy to install. You can do it in a couple hours, maybe even less, depending on you know how electrically inclined you are. Uh, it's a couple ring terminals to hook up. Um, you know, you screw, you know, find yourself a good ground, and uh, you can even catch it at the battery itself. And it, and the rest is plug and play. And you go ahead and you can use your existing headlights, or you can go ahead and and get into something else. And we're talking about like an H4 conversion system. There are also HID conversion systems out there, uh, which use the same kind of technology as an H4, uh, but these require a ballast. Uh, they run a high-intensity discharge light. It's a light that has a different kind of gas in it, a higher compression of a different kind of gas, which ignites at a different frequency uh, or illumination level, uh, different color level. And uh, these are a little bit more complex systems, and they're honestly a bit overkill for what 99% of us do. And more times than not, you'll see these HID conversion systems have projector-style lights, which, and again, with a lot of these systems, not only are they overkill, but some of these HID conversion systems will actually eliminate your brights uh, or will cost twice as much if you actually want to retain your brights. So I, I'd, I stay rec I'd recommend staying away from them uh, just for what we do and for the purposes of, of, uh, of what I'm doing here. Now let's get back to the H4 conversions. And basically what those consist of are a new set of housings. Uh, there's, there's several kinds. There's plastic lens, there's glass lens, there's, you know, uh, you know plastic bucket, glass bucket, um, you know, m different kinds of ref reflectors and, uh, and whatnot inside those buckets. And each, each one is a little bit different, but they all essentially do the same thing. Um, they go into your existing grill and you use an H4 style bulb which is a much better bulb than the, you know, basically the old incandescent style light bulbs that we've been plugging into our Jeeps for, you know, ever since they've been made. Um, these H4 bulbs are a newer technology. They have a lot more light output and they usually have a, uh, a different kind of beam pattern, a, a higher output with a sharper cutoff, usually a, a broader broadcast, uh, you know, a different beam pattern altogether. And uh, you have a lot more options when it comes to H4 bulbs than our standard sealed beams. But before we go any further, I must say, please check with your local government, you know, your state DOT, Department of Transportation, to find out what is legal. Because there are H4 bulbs out there that are not street legal. They are meant for off-road use only. They are a high-wattage bulb. And although they will slam a lot of light down the road, uh, you don't want to get pulled over because you're running 100-watt bulbs in, uh, in, you know, on your daily driver probably not a good idea unless it's legal in your state. So please check to see what is legal in your state before 
buying uh, high wattage H4 bulbs for your H4 conversion. These H4 conversions are super easy to install. Again, it's basically just a housing and a bulb. And when handling H4 bulbs, you never ever want to touch uh, the bare bulbs with your skin, with the, with the skin of your fingers. Uh, just the, the oil, the residue, the dirt, the grime, whatever, uh, the natural oils that are on your skin, even if you just washed them, um, it gets on that glass, it leaves the residue, and those bulbs get extremely hot. And when that oil starts to get that hot, that glass is thin and it will pop. And you'll find those bulbs won't last very long at all. Uh, but again, it's just a plug and play. You install the bulb into the housing, um, you install the harness onto the bulb and housing assembly, and you put it in like any other bulb in, into your grill. Uh, super easy. And again, it's a night and day difference. An H4 bulb over a sealed beam bulb uh, in, your, in your grill is going to produce a lot more light going down the road, and you're going to love the results. So with the harness, the E-Auto Works uh, uh, headlight harness, um, just Google search that. Uh, you can find them on eBay. I think I got mine through eautoworks.com. Uh, they're available there. Uh, I think it's called the uh, the Putco H4-9003 heavy-duty headlight upgrade wiring harness. Uh, I know the IPF makes one. I think ARB even made one at one point in time. But there's, uh, I'm probably sure there's, there's a few others out there that are doing this kind of harness. But the E-AutoWorks one is a good, reliable one, and it's very budget-friendly, again, at around a $30 price tag. And it's one of the best mods you can do to your Jeep. If you want any details on, or help on how to install this, um, of course, they do come with instructions, but I'd be more than happy to give you some more details as to how this works and how to install it and what you're going to be looking at and what kind of supplies you're going to need. Um, so if you, if you have any questions, please uh, go ahead and call the toll-free line or go ahead and PM me. Uh, I am Northwest99XJ on xjtalk.com, and I'll see you next time. The electrical and audio tip segment is intended for entertainment purposes only and not to be used as professional advice or as instructional guidance. Any attempts to use information provided in this segment are done at your own risk. Electrical and audio repair, troubleshooting, or installation is best left to trained and certified professionals. Hey, this is Nicole Johnson of Johnson Motorsports, and I am a Monster Jam truck driver, and you're listening to XJ Talk Show. The XJ Talk Show is brought to you by Jeepin' Outfitters. From trail rigs to tow rigs to daily drivers, we'll get you outfitted. Call 972-221-5286 or see all that Jeepin' Outfitters has to offer at jeepinoutfitters.com. That's jeepinoutfitters.com. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road. Well, my very special guest today is Dino, uh, also known as Cheryl Maniac on XJTalk.com. You may know Dino from Dino's Jeep 4.0 performance site, also to uh, G Dino's Jeep Tricks, or his uh, website uh, on Angel Fire, From Junker to Stroker. I've only become aware recently that Dino was a member of XJ Talk, and I was actually looking at getting him to do uh, some uh, Jeep tip segment uh, as Cheromaniac because uh, his posts are, have been so knowledgeable about uh, Jeep and the, the Jeep 4.0. And then <laughs> when I recently made the connection 
that it, that he was the the same Dino that I'd been reading off these websites for for several years now, and actually helped select the the cam that I put in my most recent build. Uh, then it became clear to me as to why he was knowledgeable. Anyway, Dino, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Now, the first thing I want to ask you about is where you live. I was I was really surprised, and actually, this is how I figured out that that the that you're the same Dino that was the chairomaniac on XJ Talk because I figured very very few people would live in the the exact same place. Now, I'm not going to butcher yeah. I'm not going to butcher the location. What is where where is it that you live? Uh, I live in the Emirates of uh, Abu Dhabi, which Ab- is in the United Arab Emirates. Abu Dhabi, and I, I could have I could have said that. I just didn't know how to. That's what it was pronounced. I hear it all the time on the news. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, they're going to be hosting the uh, uh, the Formula One uh, uh, race uh, in about six weeks' time. Oh, that's going to be so, interesting. Are you going to be watching that, or? Oh, I'll be well, yeah, I'll be glued to the TV watching it. Okay, so you'll be doing it like everybody else does. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a better view there anyway. Um, now, obviously, uh, for, well, at least I say obviously, obviously from your accent, you weren't, you're not from there. How did you wind up in that part of the world? Well, I came out here to work, actually. I, uh, I moved up um, from the UK to Saudi Arabia about 20 years ago. And uh, I lived in Saudi for 13 years. I had originally early intended to live there for two, but I was having such a good time. <laughs> I extended my stay, um, and then eventually, uh, and then seven years ago, I moved out uh, out here to, to Abu Dhabi. Change of job, and change of scenery. Uh, naturally, I brought my jeep with me as well. I've owned my jeep for seventeen years, and I didn't want to let go of that when I, uh, when I left Saudi. Is there any so, problems with? Uh, I mean, are the jeeps uh, are the jeep Cherokees popular over there at all? They're fairly popular, but they're, yeah, they're, um, their numbers are shrinking because the uh, the youngest one is eleven years old now. So there are uh, the the XJ population is uh, decreasing. Yep. Some they, people. Yeah, they were popular when they were new. Sure. Uh, that makes sense, but it's it's interesting that they're they're still going after all this time. Now you have a, a ninety two Jeep Cherokee uh, XJ, correct? Yeah. And uh, of course, you've done a lot to the uh, to the engine, from what I've been reading. So you still have the uh, now yours is basically stock, other than what you've done to the engine. So you still have uh, the same axle gears and so on and so forth. Yours is yours yeah. is more of a a daily driver, not an off road device. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's ninety nine point nine percent daily driver and maybe zero point one percent occasional off road use. Drives into the desert on weekends. Uh, how do you keep it cool? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> not not easily. <laughs> well, uh, well, good. Because if anybody said I can drive in the desert all day and never get past two ten. <laughs> well, no, it, it, it will. In summer, it will get past two ten. Uh, there's no avoiding that. Um, basically, my cooling system is basically stock, except for one eighty degree thermostat, the flow cooler water pump. Still have the same uh, stock two row radiator. Only a thing I've changed there is uh, put a second. 
deleted the clutch fan and uh, added a second electric fan. And I've been running that setup for the last 12 years. Yeah, I'm coming very close to uh, to making that change on mine. Putting uh, uh, actually, uh, yeah. one of our vendors has the three electric fans, and I was looking at the shroud with the three electric fans and putting it all the way across the radiator, and seeing yeah. seeing if I could uh, handle the the cooling that way. I can imagine three three electric fans in that space would be quite a headache to uh, set up. And they probably have to be pretty small as well. Um, well, the if I understood what you were saying correctly, basically uh, the guy has a uh, a laser cut shroud that he he has uh, made for it. He's done flow testing, and it is uh, the same airflow, the same C- CMF CFM rather uh, airflow that what a mechanical and a uh, an electric factory mechanical and electric do. So I don't think it's better than the the combination, but it it does. In my mind, it gives you better coverage because instead of having two fans pulling air, you've got three fans pulling air, uh, so more surface area uh, and higher airflow over more surface area. I don't know. Uh, probably. Well, I've got, well, I've got the whole. I've got the whole radiator uh, shrouded on mine, and uh, basically, I have, I kept the uh, original stock auxiliary fan and in place of the clutch. I have got. 14-inch electric fan in, in, uh, mounted in the stock shroud. I'm sorry, you said a 14-inch electric fan and mounted it in the stock, stock shroud? Yeah. I think Skype is starting to uh, is starting to test us. Yeah, yeah I've, I've got two fans running side by side and uh, they completely cover the whole area of the uh, radiator. Well, uh, we'll uh, I'll, I'll probably we'll see here in the future once we get the uh, the issues lined out that I'm having with the uh, the new engine. So I do notice the engine. The, I do notice the engine does run when I'm driving when I'm driving through sand uh, on a hot day. It will go, it will it will go to about two twenty. So, but do that's about. That's about the only, the only time that the uh, that the engine will consistently stay above two ten. So, do you think that's the heating coming from below and the the air from the front, or do you think the sand is is clogging up the uh, the airflow? I've basically been driving through. Uh, basically, I'm having to use four wheel drive to uh, drive through the sand, and uh, yeah, the engine has to work harder to. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, I see what through. you're saying. So uh, the engine produces more heat, and the cooling system uh, can't uh, reject quickly enough. So it will run hotter. Gotcha. I see. That makes more sense. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm seeing uh, my uh, my engine run hotter with the uh, the larger tires and the additional weight from the bumpers and the spare tire and such. Definitely. And if you've got a winch in front of the, uh, the, the grill as well, that'll block some of the airflow as well. Right. Just sitting here doing some adjustments to see if I can compensate for the, the, the poor audio quality coming from Skype. But, you know, whenever you're halfway around the world, and uh, at least we can have a, uh, have a conversation yeah. <laughs> using, using Skype. But you, beggars can't be choosers, I suppose. It's incredible. Well, I can hear you loud and clear. Well, um, 
So on the uh, on your ninety two, uh, you've got a, basically it's a stock setup. You have, uh, but you still you have a stroker in it, correct? That's right. Yeah. And ha- how many how many miles do you have on your stroker now? Uh, Sixty nine thousand now. How's it running? Runs fantastic. Uh, absolutely, absolutely love it. So, how is the <clears throat> seat of the pants uh, dynamometer? Uh, could you tell a big difference whenever you put the uh, the uh, the stroker in uh, to replace the uh, the stock 4.0? Well, when I had, when I put the stroker in, I'd already uh, done several performance mods on my old 4.0, so it wasn't stock. Uh, uh, at the time when I uh, replaced it with the stroker, um, basically when I put the stroker uh, put the stroker in, I did all, uh, all all the performance mods that I already had on the old 4.0. Just, uh, just uh, went on the stroker as well. So I kept the same so I kept the same mods, but just with the bigger displacement engine. Yeah, so yeah. Even then, there was, uh, was a seat of the pants difference. Especially at lower RPM, where you could really feel the extra torque. Yeah, I've noticed on mine that uh, I really don't feel the, the the pushback in the seat unless I get up to around. Uh, oh gosh, I guess it's around twenty five hundred to three thousand RPM. Like the three thousand and up is usually where I'll, where I'll start noticing it. So, uh, with, uh, with the stroke yeah, the the difference was very noticeable. Um, when I had the old 4.0, uh, I would often you know, there was some situations where uh, where, uh, where I would use a lower gear, uh, like like when climbing uh, climbing a hill or um, in town driving, would tend to stay, would have tended to stay fourth gear. Whereas with the stroker, I use gear more often around town because I've got enough torque at lower RPM to be able to. Uh, maintain speed without having to downshift. And, uh, and, uh, and when I'm going up uh, highway inclines, I can stay in fifth gear all the time without having to downshift at all. Yeah, I can see that. That would be uh, that would be a lot. Of, you, that would be at least a very good measurement. Actually, on the highway, I'm also getting slightly better miles per gallon as well from the stroke. Now that would also—that's always a bonus. Yeah, so I would imagine that that is always a plus when you can get better, uh, better MPG or I guess it's kilometers per gallon over there, isn't it? Well, here is liters. Yeah, so yeah, it would be kilometers per liter. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I said gallon. See, it's that whole mentality, the whole uh, imperial <laughs> mentality. <laughs> well, actually, up until about. Six years ago, the uh, filling stations here were um, calibrated in UK gallons, and then they went metric. So wait a minute, is the UK gallon different than the American gallon? Yeah, it's bigger. It's four. Yeah, it's about four point five liters. Interesting. I had no idea. I, th- I thought we were. I thought all our, our measurements here were based off the imperial system, which of course, the the previous owners, the uh, the British, <laughs> gave us. Yeah, I know the U.S. gallon is uh, about 50% smaller. I'll be darned. I did not know that. Well, maybe I did back when I was in school and I just chose to forget it. Uh, how was it going right. to relate to me? 
can be, can, can be confusing and when you're calculating miles per gallon and you're thinking, well, is it miles per US gallon or miles per imperial, imperial gallon? Uh, I, I just, I, you know, I always, I always tell people that uh, the metric system isn't valid. The, the gallons, the feet, all that stuff, that's the valid measurement. That's what I call God's measurement. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we—that's what brains have been programmed to since we were kids. Exactly. Yeah, nobody. Uh, and I think the the other line I use is when I become king, everybody will speak English. Why? Because it's easier for me. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so you've had the uh, your Jeep for a very long time, and any other mods? Any other mods besides the uh, besides the engine? Um. I mean, you did the electric fan, but uh, it looks like it's pretty much a stalker. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the interior, yeah, everything else about it is stock. Even the even the wheels and tires are stock. Um, only thing I did, uh, only thing I did in the uh, interior was uh, add uh, an autometer uh, oil temperature gauge. Also, I did um, uh, an air fuel ratio gauge. Uh, and a, a gauge uh, 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 in, a, in a gauge pod uh, that I uh, screwed onto the uh, a pillar. And um, have you had to fix the headliner yet? No, no, not yet. <laughs> no, no, yeah, the headliner does look. Uh, <coughs> yeah, it does. It does look like it's seen better days. So I'll probably replace that eventually. Uh, uh, fortunately, I don't live in it. Fortunately, I don't live in a country where it rains a lot and, uh, and there's damp, so the headliner doesn't sag. Ah, oh, that's interesting uh, because I thought it was because of the heat. I thought it was because the heat and it uh, was melting the glue and uh, the foam that's on the back of the the cloth. I did not realize it was the wet weather that caused that. I think I think it's the, the humidity and the damp that, uh, that that causes it to sag. Interesting. Well, I just replaced yeah. uh, the the one on the ninety nine uh, last weekend. Or maybe it was the weekend before. Turned out pretty good. I was really happy with it. It and it it was so saggy that my daughter said she couldn't drive it because she couldn't see out the uh, side window. Yeah, uh, my mine doesn't sag at all. Uh, tw after twenty years, it's still where it, uh, where it's supposed to be. So uh, really, it just uh, it depends it's more. Material looks old now, and in a couple of places, it's got uh, small tears. Yeah. So I'll probably replace it. So really. So really, it depends on where you live more so than uh, than anything else as far as the longevity of it. It's an amazing vehicle. It, it it holds up so well. Now, whenever you built your Stroker to go in in your '92, was that something that you just wanted to do, or was it something you really needed to do because the engine, uh, the the 4.0, even though the modifications you had made to it, was it something that it it needed to be done, or if, was it kind of a uh, just kind of a hey, I'm going to try this and see how it works out. Yeah, well, it was the latter, actually. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't something that needed to be done because uh, my old 4.0 was still uh, running beautifully. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, I'd, been, uh, I'd been a member of the um, Yahoo Stroker group for about uh, since the year 2000. Uh, so by the, time, uh, by the time I built the Stroker, I was already on that site for four years. And... Everybody on that site had either already built a stroker or was contemplating building a stroker, and, uh, and then people started asking me, "Well, why don't you build a stroker?" So um, eventually, I caught the stroker bug and decided 
I'll do it. <laughs> were there were there any gotchas whenever you were rebuilding the engine, uh, whether it was stroker or not? Were there any things that you were surprised uh, that you had to watch out carefully for? Because to me, engine building is pretty straightforward as long as you uh, mine the tolerances and don't go uh, crazy on uh, like uh, piston compression ratio where you have to keep up with uh, how close <laughs> the valves are, so on and so forth. Yeah, that was basically it. There, there, uh, there weren't any. I didn't really find any major surprises. Uh, I mean, the, engine, the block, the block that I, the block that I, uh, I used to build the stroker was from a uh, from a two thousand XJ. Uh, that <clears throat> that that had over uh, that had overheated. Uh, at some time in uh, its past, I guess the head, uh, the cylinder head must have. Right, which is famous for yeah, uh, and the um, so so uh, so I I just bought the the short block engine and the number two and five uh, the number two and five pistons that actually seized in the seized in the bores. So the first the first thing I had to do was try to free the pistons out of the bores so we could uh, strip the engine down. My goodness! So he really did overheat that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, had cooked it pretty well. But anyway, the um, yeah, what, yeah, once it was uh, yeah, once it was uh, stripped down, the rest of the engine inside uh, it looked pretty good. Uh, and uh, the cylinder bores cleaned up with just a twenty thou overbore. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. So um, the, the stroke that could build was pretty straightforward. I just used a two five eight crank, two five eight rods. Uh, speed, uh, seal power uh, six seven seven p pistons. That's basic uh, stock replacement. Um, now, uh, now, now you mentioned the overbore, the twenty thousandths overbore on your two thousand yeah. engine. How far do yeah. you? How far would you recommend boring a uh, boring a, a four point block? What would the maximum be? Well, up to sixty thou is safe enough. Uh, any four point oak block should be able to take a sixty thou overbore. I've heard of guys boring them at eighty thou or even or even beyond that. But if you uh, if you're going to go beyond sixty thou, I would recommend uh, you have the blocks on it tested to make sure that the cylinder walls are thick enough to tolerate a bigger overbore. So you wouldn't see a, a, a an overheating situation or a running warm situation. You wouldn't expect to see that with a sixty thousandths overbore. I wouldn't think so. I'm, uh, I'm sure that there's many guys, many guys driving around with uh, sixty thou overboard strokers, four point sevens, without any overheating issues at all. Uh, I think a lot of it is. Uh, I think a lot uh, a lot of this. Um, all these discussions about uh, overboring 60,000 might cause overheating issues is um, uh, an internet myth. That's just been created. I don't think it's fact. That's great to hear because I was concerned about that, as was Matt when we were going to uh, uh, rebuild the, the engine that I have. And of course, now uh, I'm, I am seeing a, uh, a running hot situation. Now, both of us think that it has to do with a, a timing issue 
and a, a fuel flow issue. But uh, yes. but nevertheless, it's it's still something that I it's a fear that I'm trying to uh, allay. <laughs> so it was a, an opportunity to ask. Yeah, the only issue with pouring, pouring the block 60 thou or beyond that is that if you ever need to rebuild the engine again, that, uh, you won't be able to put that block right. won't be serviceable anymore. You won't be able to uh, do another rebore. Exactly. Well, let's see. That should be... Or 20 thou, 30 thou, or 40 thou, you've, uh, you've still got some, some room to rebore again. Right. And of course, you don't. I mean, and, and it wasn't a situation where I said, "Hey, let's go 60. It was a situation where they, the machine shop, looked at the block and uh, looked at the the groove at the top of the uh, uh, the cylinder, and that's their recommendation was sixty thousand. So that's what yeah. we that's what we went so, with. So this was out of necessity. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and the way I look at it is, uh, in twenty thirty two, when it comes time to re- rebuild that engine again. <laughs> we're still around at that time <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i probably will say you know well done piggy well done and just get another and get another engine <laughs> i think be in zimmer frames by then <laughs> <laughs> now um i mentioned to you earlier uh before we hit the old record button that uh uh, that I did have a question, uh, a voicemail question for you, and I think I'm going to go ahead and play that for you and uh, let you uh, let you answer it. Now, this this voicemail was called in by John, pre-runner uh, 1982, and, uh, well, let's just listen to it. This is John, pre-runner 1982 from Edmond, Oklahoma, calling with a question for Dino. Uh, what mods, if any, would you recommend for someone who is trying to achieve the maximum miles per gallon out of their Jeep Cherokee? I typically average 20 to 21 miles a gallon um, with a best of about 23. I know most people would say that I'm barking up the wrong tree um, and to just buy a small import car, but that really wouldn't survive very long out where I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'd like to eventually get a two-wheel drive, four-liter with a five-speed, and uh, see just how many miles per gallon I could squeeze out of it. Um, So I'd really like to get your opinion on that, and uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, interview and uh, answer my question. Thank you. Well, I think uh, John's got an excellent question, and I do like how he throws in there <clears throat> that uh, the standard response of uh, "Well, get get you a vehicle that gets better gas mileage and drive it instead." Yeah. Uh, his answer of it doesn't really work well in his environment because his environment is a rugged environment, and he needs uh, he needs a Jeep, but he also wants good gas mileage. So, what yeah, do we well, what do we do with this guy, Dino? Well, yeah, it's a frequently asked question, and. Um Let's face it. The Jeep isn't. Uh, yeah, you've got a you've basically got a uh, vehicle with the aerodynamics of a brake uh, and engine whose design dates back to the uh, 1965. So uh, it's not exactly a combination that's conducive to fuel efficiency. Uh, but since the uh, person asking the question said that the, the average is well, 20, 21 miles to the gallon, that's probably about as good as you're going to get. Um, out, of, uh, out of a Jeep. Uh, best way to save on, uh, save on fuel is um, yeah, take the brick take the brick out of your right shoe and um, drive uh, drive like a grandmother. Uh, fortunately, that, that's not easy when you're driving a Jeep with lots of power, and especially one with a stroker. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to keep uh, keep off the gas. Um, that, that, that's the one way that you, you can really make a difference. 
So less less skinny pedal, and I guess the the standard uh, lower the weight. Just uh, yeah, uh, remove as remove as much added weight as you can. Uh, keep the uh, keep the engine properly maintained, and uh, and uh, tuned up correctly. How do you feel about the the um, oh gosh the air dam? Uh, does the air dam help you at all? A little bit, not really. Well, it hasn't really it didn't really change my uh, fuel mileage. Uh, I, I guess the one thing I did notice is that when I'm driving at high speed, the um, I don't feel the I don't feel the front end of the Jeep uh, becoming light. So I think it does uh, reduce the uh, the airflow uh, the uh, that goes un, uh, underneath. That's interesting. So you, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's getting a little loose, is what you're saying. Obviously, obviously, it's not. Yeah, it's not very helpful if I'm driving off road because uh, because it hangs quite low. So uh, if I if I know if I know I'm going to drive in in a in a rocky area, uh, I sometimes just take uh, take it off and then put it back on later. Well, that's so, interesting. So, so it doesn't ruin my approach angle. Right. That's interesting. So. Uh, it's worth uh, taking off and putting back on. So that's uh, that's a good, uh, an interesting thing to know. So uh, really, it's just kind of the standard things. Uh, you know, uh, if you're driving a brick with a, a big engine, the best thing you can do is uh, take it easy on the uh, the throttle. Um, yeah. You can't really change the shape of the brick. I mean, I don't, I can't think of any anything that I've ever seen any effects or anything that you can put to better streamline your Jeep. So. Maybe putting a front air down as I've done, but my uh, mine isn't the best design. I'm sure one could do better than that. Uh, I'll put a small um, uh, small rooftop spoiler on the on the tailgate. Now, do the I guess a, a skinnier tire would uh, help uh, the friction uh, coefficient between the ground and the and basically the rolling coefficient. So. Yeah, is rolling resistance in um, a higher pressure tire. Twenty-five, so I think they're um, they're the best compromise for looks as well as for uh, rolling resistance. Well, you know, I just thought of something. What about some of these aftermarket uh, tuners? The things that are supposed to uh, retune your computer so that it gets better gas mileage. Have you had any dealings with that? And if so, what were the results? Not had any result. Not had any dealings with those personally, but um, from what I've uh, uh, from the feedback that I've read uh, from others, there um, yeah you don't see any uh, fuel mileage gains using the uh, aftermarket tuners. So basically, it looks like uh, Jeep tuned the, uh, the 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 Cherokee as the best they could. Well, the stock tunes already geared towards fuel economy anyway. To trying to get the few, uh, best fuel mileage as they can out, uh, out of the engine. Yeah, it was definitely really, definitely in their best interest. Really, the only way you're going to uh, get better fuel mileage is to uh, lean out the air fuel mixture, and that will cause other problems. Yeah, it starting like start get hot to, uh, at that point as well. Engines going to run higher, yeah, run hot, uh, and, that, and that that's just the start of it. And that's not something that you want a Jeep Cherokee to do anyway, because it's uh, predisposed to running hot uh, to start with. Predisposed it to pinging as well. So, yeah. you, 
aftermarket tunes, not the answer. By and large, the, uh, the results from using them have been very disappointing. Well, uh, how about from the performance side? Can you get a, a better performance tune? You might be able to, but um, again, a, uh, the stock engine computer is uh, programmed so that the engine will run on low-octane fuels. Interesting. And if you want to get more performance, you uh, you uh, you would probably have to um, tune the engine to uh, with a more aggressive uh, timing curve uh, and a leaner air fuel mixture. Uh, but then you would have but then you would have to tune it to run on uh, on only premium fuel. Yeah, and now now you're starting to talk about some some real money. Get any real performance gain? Again, would be to tune it, uh, tune it more aggressively. But then, the, uh, but then uh, the price you pay is you have to run uh, a higher octane fuel. Right. Well, John, uh, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be any uh, magic uh, bullets that we can use to improve the gas mileage for your Cherokee. And, and I think you ought to be damn happy that you're getting uh, an average of twenty twenty one miles per gallon. <laughs> Well, that's right. Yeah, there are, there are, there's no there's no magic bullet. Um, yeah, you might be able to um, uh, gain small uh, have small gains in uh, fuel mileage by uh, adding some performance mods uh, like a, a cold air cold air intake and. Uh, uh, performance exhaust, but really though those mods are oriented more to the performance uh, side rather than uh, rather than uh, adding fuel mileage. Yep, it's all about airflow. So if you can improve airflow in and out, then the uh, the engine should have uh, less restriction and should uh, should run better. And of course, I think yeah. that's what you see. That's what you saw on the the Stroker. Yeah, and you might get you might get, you might get a small uh, a small gain in fuel mileage cruising down the highway. Uh, but then any fuel, uh, any uh, gas mileage gains that you might get will depend on uh, how you drive. Yeah, if you start using the extra performance, uh, <laughs> then uh, you, you won't see any fuel mileage gain at all. Exactly. Well, Dino, is there? Uh, I mentioned the, uh, the your three sites: the uh, Dino's uh, Jeep 4.0 performance site, uh, and uh, well, I had them up here in front of me. Um, the uh, Dino's Jeep Tricks and the uh, from Joker to uh, from jo to Joker from from Junker to Stroker, is there uh, is there any other way other than uh, I guess XJ Talk, your uh, Chero Maniac? So uh, any other way that people can contact you on the uh, this this wonderful thing called the internet? Well, let's see. I'm uh, I'm a member of the uh, Jeeps Unlimited uh, forum, the uh, NAXJA forum. Uh, the Jeep Strokers. So you're just uh, anywhere there's a Jeep 4.0 Stroker type information. If you see that, look for Dino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dino, thank you very much uh, for being on the uh, the show and doing the interview today. And uh, gosh, it just it's wonderful, especially coming from uh, halfway around the world and. Uh, it, it may be, uh, it may be naive of me to say so, but gosh, I hope you stay safe over there. Oh, over here, uh, ultra safe. 
<laughs> Excellent. In a very safe environment. Thank you very much. Uh, touch wood, we don't have to worry about uh, Al-Qaeda and uh, Islamic extremism, uh, where I am anyway. Oh, that's very good news. Yeah, I was when I looked at the map, I saw that you were like, Right across the street from Iran is the way you know the way yeah. I looked at it. But I know it's yeah. a, I know it's a long ways. But to me, it was like that's a lot closer than I am. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank thank you. Iran is safe as well. Good. All right, man. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on XJ Talk. Yeah, you will do. Well, guys, that's our 50th show, 5-0. Wow, can you hardly believe it? I mean, just two more shows, and you'll be able to listen one show a week for a year. Now, I don't know why you'd want to do that, because, man, them, th- those early shows really sucked. <laughs> Josh, Northwest 99, told me they sucked. Well, not not the words he used. He said... You sure can't tell the difference between the shows you're doing now and the ones I went back and listened to. Translation, they suck. (laughs) Yeah, Josh is going, I didn't say that, man. They're okay. They're just just better now. (laughs) That's, uh, that's, That's my imitation of Josh's DJ voice. Well, I just want to thank Josh for his electrical and audio tip. We'll be hearing more of those. Of course, we're going to be still hearing uh, the wonderful tips that Steve 4.3 LXJ gives us uh, in in the Jeep tip segment. And uh, Lord willing, we'll have one of those next week. And uh, definitely want to uh, thank our special guest, uh, Dino, the the stroker man, the stroker genius with all those uh, sites that he has available and of course, he's on xjtalk.com now, too. So uh, we can we can pick his brain, guys. It's it's a wonderful thing. But, uh, Dino, thank you very much for being on the show. So, guys, until next week, which will be episode 51, don't miss it. And uh, we'll uh, I'll, I'll do my best to have it out on time because, you know, truth be told, this is actually Monday. <laughs> but it's still going to say it was released on Sunday. All right, guys, have a good week, and uh, thanks for listening. say xj talk is the best fucking site in the fucking world and if you think you know of a better fucking site fuck you by the way this is big jim 350 bye